Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Welcome to the Coffee Clutch. This is Marianne Russo. Thank you for joining us. I want to start off by thanking our sponsor and just reminding you that Mayor Johnson, the makers of Boardmaker, um, have recently released an e-catalog uh, featuring hundreds of great products, including several significantly reduced prices. So go on over to www.mayorjohnson.com um, so that you can learn more. They have an outstanding website with amazing products for special needs children and special education resources. I am so excited to be presenting the Maverick Mind series, and today is actually part three. Um, at first, I had um, Angie Eaton on uh, my show, Inspire, which really just um, what was what brought us to the Maverick Mind, and Dr. Sherry Florence, who is um, the author of the Maverick Mind, joined us again. And now we're going to be doing actually a five-part series because. Um, the response has been so overwhelming. So I would like to introduce at this time Angie Eaton, who will be hosting, and Dr. Sherry Florence, our guest. Welcome to the interview. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. I'm very excited, too. There's so much to talk about these wonderful Maverick Minds, and I think people are really going to enjoy it. So what we're going to do is in our uh, next three shows – is talk more in depth about some of the topics we talked about in our last show, which was more of a um, an overall uh, discussion about Maverick Minds. In this show, we're going to be talking about how to identify Mavericks, because it's not so easy, but it's very important. To briefly describe to our listeners again uh, what a Maverick Mind is, in a nutshell, you could say it is somebody who has very high visual thinking ability, but low auditory ability. But there's a really good way, I think, to give people a better understanding. Um, On Dr. Florence's website, uh, sherryflorence.com, she has a whole series of videos, and she has one series that's called Understanding the Maverick Mind. And in one of those videos, she shows a uh, medical school lecturer talking to his students, and what he does is he plays a Jimi Hendrix song on a tape recorder. He plays it for the students, and then he discusses the different reactions that the students may have had to that. So, Dr. Florence, can you describe uh, what that doctor said about how the students may have reacted to that? Yes, that was Dr. John Stang, who at that time 
uh, was the dean, one of the deans at the Ohio State University Medical School, and he was doing grand rounds for the faculty and the medical students and residents. And he began his lecture by asking, how many of you think in pictures? How many of you dream in pictures? How many of you have no picture and hear words in your head? And we found that in this large group of doctors, no one heard words in their head. Everyone was seeing pictures. Now, they're in medical school, so they're in a visual job. And I've now done this many, many times, thousands upon thousands of physicians, and I've not found a lexicoder in the in the group, a person that thinks in words like me. So the reason he was showing Jimi Hendrix was to see if they could close their eyes and still see Jimi Hendrix playing his guitar in a in a YouTube clip, and they all could. And if they could change that into Jimi Hendrix in various places or add Eric Clapton or add uh, the Rolling Stones, uh, then he called them the ultimate opticoder. They could see movies. They could see slides. They could move the pictures around. They could add other rock and roll groups. And he himself was trained uh, through the Harvard system of medicine, and he said he'd never read a book. That's shocking. He was a total picture person, heart heart specialist. All right. Well, that is a very good description of what a maverick is, somebody who can see in movies. Movies, pictures is their language instead of words. Uh-huh. Okay. Great. That's a a, a great introduction and and refresher as to what a maverick is. So what we're going to do now is get into the specifics. Um, in, in, if you're not in medical school, but you're dealing with a child or somebody in your family, let's say, um, and you're trying to identify if they're a maverick, you described in our last show that there are three criteria that you use. Mm-hmm. And these you have uh, tested and studied and, and perfected these criteria. And the three are, um, first, are there visual thinkers in the family tree? Mm-hmm. Second, does the person exhibit at least half of 50 different symptoms that you've developed? Right. And third, are the goals for this person related to communication? Do they match the type of goals that you have for helping a maverick? Exactly. Okay, let's talk with visual, uh, about visual thinkers in the family tree. What exactly are you looking for? Visual thinking is rare to begin with, Angie. So the National Institutes of Health says less than two out of ten people would have visual thinking strong enough to do a job. So the jobs we'd be thinking about are doctors, engineers, computer experts, architects, artists, um, In, in things like that, dentists, mm-hmm. veterinarians, people who think in pictures, city planners, visionary thinkers, like Albert Einstein, scientists. So we asked mm-hmm. the family, uh, the person that contacts me initially, 
uh, are there visual thinkers in the family? And I, I did this yesterday, and the mother said, photographers, filmmakers, engineers, doctors, dentists, computer expert, you know, my brother is an is a, an engineer, my husband is a filmmaker, I'm a photographer. And that's what we usually see. Not one person in the family tree, but lots and lots. Exactly. And I'll also say sometimes when I speak to people, they get a little bit, uh, they may get intimidated when I say, you know, are there doctors or engineers? They sound like very professional, successful people. Um, they may not have that in the family tree, but they may say, my dad could take apart anything and put it back together. My right. uncle was a master electrician, things like that. Exactly. So um, this really hits on a topic that um, we've we've read about and it's pretty interesting that there seems to be a large prevalence of autism in affluent communities. And I was wondering if you might speak to that a little bit because you you have a take on that. Well, the word affluence means rich or exuberant or plentiful. And the maverick has an IQ of over 120 in the visual pathway. That even with when Whitney, my son, was very autistic-like and very impaired with an overall IQ of 49 as measured at the school on the test of visual perceptual skills he was scoring an IQ of 190 on certain subtests so this high IQ 150 190 on the visual pathway tends to be related to high achiever thinkers and that's why we see such a high uh, incidence in affluent families is not just affluent in terms of money, but it's affluent in terms of achievement. So if we compare that to the po- below the poverty level, and we saw 600 Head Start kids a year for 12 years, there, there's a higher incidence of communication disorders in Head Start children, as much as 50%, where the general population is 25%, so it's twice as many. But the problems strike across all modalities. That means the visual system and the verbal system are both behind. In the Mavericks, we have an IQ of 150 on the visual pathway, maybe an IQ of of 60, 70 on the verbal pathway. And that's why we see this more in affluent families because the Maverick is the high has the high achiever IQ but it's so high, higher than maybe the parents, that it's interfering and becomes the enemy of the verbal. Does that make sense, Angie? It does. Thank you for explaining that. And that kind of leads us into your second criteria for identifying Mavericks, and that is that they can have um, 50 symptoms, common symptoms that you see. So tell us about the groups of symptoms that you see in Mavericks. Uh, there are five groups, and the first group is visual thinking. It's uh, can your child remember that you've been to a place before? So if you're on the way to the doctor's office and the child had a shot the last time, would he, would he or she be worried that we're going to get another shot and start to become upset? 
or if we're on the way to the swimming pool or the park where we had fun the last time, start to become happy. Or if you go a different way to the swimming pool because you need to stop at the bank, would your child notice that? And in Maverick children, even three, two- and three-year-olds are noticing things that they see along the way and uh, reacting even when they're not talking. Or they're putting Legos together, or they pay attention well on the iPad, or the or the computer games, but have trouble with listening to a story. So that's the first set. Are we are our visuals higher than the verbals? And then the second set is two components. One is listening, and one is reading. Mavericks tend to have problems. Usually, ten out of ten symptoms on the listening system. And that's true of the little children as well as the medical students that I work with. The the listening component of the maverick mind tends to be a problem for all the mavericks. The speaking can vary. The reading can vary. The writing can vary. But the listening symptoms tend to be consistent across all the mavericks. And then we look at social skills and how we're speaking, when we're speaking, what we're saying, if we're talking at all, and then we look at reading. Many times mavericks learn to read by sight recognition. Some people call that hyperlexia. So sometimes reading is very easy without sequencing, develops early, but when we get to about fourth grade, reading comprehension can become a sudden problem, and it seems like reading with big picture books was easy, of reading a chapter book with no pictures or a text that is hard to picture suddenly becomes very difficult. Does that answer that, Angie? It it really does. It absolutely does. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'd like you to... Um, could you just give us a couple examples? You talked about speaking, and that varies greatly. And... Um, also, you said that you know Mavericks may have must have at least half of those symptoms, and that's because they really do vary quite a lot. You've worked with uh, many people who were nonverbal, and through your work, you were able to get them speaking again. Is that right? Right. Yes, definitely. I when I was working with you, there was a parent of a 17-year-old child who had never spoken. And I remember that after just working with you for a few months, uh, he began to speak, and I thought that was so remarkable, such a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. That must be such a, a joy for you to be able to be part of that. Absolutely. It's it's like Helen Keller when she had Annie Sullivan spelling everything in her hand, and then suddenly she realized that her hand was under the water pump and water was on her hand, and Annie was writing water in the other hand, and Helen discovered there are words. There are words I can use to communicate, to connect with you. And that's what it was like for the 17-year-old you're talking about. There are words. I can talk. It's a wonderful, Mm. wonderful step toward feeling like a whole citizen. That's fantastic. All right, I'm going to keep moving along because we have a little more to talk about. The third criteria to identify a maverick is uh, whether their goals have to do with improving communication. So why is this important? 
Well, the 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 as you said earlier, Angie, the differential diagnosis between a psychiatric disease such as autism or attention deficit disorder or Asperger's and a maverick, which is a language disorder, is complicated. And Dr. Dennis Cantwell at during his lifetime, was the number one expert in the world on autism, Asperger's, and ADD. In fact, he won the uh, top honors from the American Psychiatric Association, and he wrote the DSM, that is the manual mental health professionals used for diagnostic classification. And he said that the people that walk through my door are different than the people that walk through his door. He was a psychiatrist who specialized in psychiatric disease, and I specialize in communication disorders. So one of the ways I figure that out is what are the goals that you would have if you'd like to see your child improve? Are they related to reading or listening or talking or paying attention at school or remembering assignments or knowing how to make friends? Those are all language disorder-based and have to do with communication. So that's one way I determine if I'm the right person for you. What would it, a, a goal for um, somebody with more of a, a psychiatric illness like autism be in contrast to that? Well, autism tends to be a psychiatric illness that's thought to be chronic and long-term. It, the psychiatrist would first think about medication Medication to help be in touch with reality so that you knew that you were in a family with nights and days. And you're more, your body is more in homeostasis. So medication would be the first step. And then behavior management would be the second step. And then counseling would be the third step. Whereas in, in what I do, training communication skills is the top priority. And in stopping the antagonism between the verbal and the visual pathway is our first step. Mm-hmm. The other differentiating, differentiating factor between psychiatric illness and communication disorders is communication disorders can be measured objectively. We can test how many words you listen to and comprehend or how you pay attention. We can test your auditory discrimination, auditory selective attention. And those IQ tests for communication disorders have been around for over 100 years. So those mm-hmm. are tests that would be used by a psychiatrist. I see. So that, let's let's talk about labels and diagnoses It's in the same vein. Um you know, not very many people are familiar with the profile of, ma- of a maverick mind, and it's it's very difficult, I, I believe, can be very difficult to diagnose because it looks like these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, on one of you, the videos on your website, you said that mavericks can often look like they have PDD, ADHD, opposition-defiant disorder, a sleep disorder, or autism. And... Um, on those videos, you said that the underlying reason for the symptoms that lead to those diagnoses is that with a language disorder, um, p- 
people get um, the true problem of the language disorder leads to frustration, anxiety, and tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, intention. And so that leads to this bad behavior and these tantrums and uh, all sorts of things that get misdiagnosed. So I guess my question is, why why are um, people not looking at language disorders as a, as a possible cause for symptoms? It just doesn't um, seem to be something that that is the first question that's asked. You know, the, you seem, people seem to go straight to these other diagnoses. Right. Well, when Whitney, my son Whitney was little, he showed all the signs of autism, and he had an IQ measured at 49. He was considered by the school to be so severely mentally retarded and so multi-handicapped that he flunked out of the school district's special ed program into the county program for the basically multi-handicapped, mentally retarded program offered by what's called the state's MRDD, Mental Retardation and Developmental Disability. But he was really a maverick. Even though he, classified, he qualified for that those programs, by the time he was in ninth grade, he was going to college, and as a senior in college, he'd lettered in football and wrestling and ran track directed plays and went to college half day, high school half day, and now he's a chemical engineer. So he wasn't mentally retarded. And I hired Dr. Cantwell, and we worked together for five years uh, during this time when Whitney was really struggling. And so what we figured out was that uh, at first we were thinking maybe it's an ADD dash language processing problem. You know, maybe it's a comorbid problem, some of both. But then we thought, no, a language disorder is very different than a psychiatric disorder. And Dr. Cantwell wrote a book called Psychiatric Disorder and Communication Disorder to go through that differential process. There's also a wonderful parent manual by Dr. Samuel Goldstein that you can get at his website that talks about why a communication disorder can look like a behavior problem, but if you focus on the behavior problem, it will get worse instead of better. And Dr. Cantwell's last page of his book says, what we need is primary care physicians to be studying communication disorders and psychiatrists to study communication disorders speech-language pathologists and teachers to be studying psychiatric disease so that people cross modalities and professions and become interdisciplinary so they can figure this out. It isn't easy, Angie, as you said. Is that your dog, Maverick? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's little Maverick. But I have my headset on, so I hoped Maverick wouldn't bark during this radio show. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you know, you had such a, um, you had a background in communication. Um, I, I guess what I'm just, what I don't see out there, I, I don't see people looking to language disorders first. Um, and and hopefully we can spread the word about this because. 
Um, the the critical thing is, and you had somebody on one of your videos, a, 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 a parent of a maverick, and he was also a doctor. He put so eloquently that a um, a, a misdiagnosis. Well, he said in medicine, a misdiagnosis leads to mistreatment and an adverse outcome, potentially mm -hmm. aggravating a problem and making the situation worse, and, and you mentioned that. But a proper diagnosis can lead to proper treatment and turn the whole situation around. Mm -hmm. um, and correctly identifying a maverick allows for this proper treatment, which is treating the language disorder, and it's very effective. Mm -hmm. And you can see a quick turnaround. Um, but if you don't make that diagnosis, you can't make the treatment, and things often get worse. And you talk about risk for mm -hmm. a maverick. What are the, the what is the maverick risk? Well, to make three points there to that excellent question, Angie. First of all, that that doctor was a neurosurgeon and his wife a radiologist, so they think about the brain a lot, and they were so relieved to find out their child was a maverick and not attention deficit disorder because he got better right away. And, in fact, they're on the video, and he's on, their son is on the video explaining that. But here they thought he had ADD all along, and it was getting worse over the years. And so when we think about uh, why is that so important is that language disorders, and we follow best practice standards for a language disorder, uh, tend to respond very quickly in Mavericks. And we've, we, in the past 16 years, I've seen about 1,400 Mavericks who have been uh, diagnosed as having psychiatric diseases instead of a language disorder. So, Angie, your point is right on, that language isn't thought of as the first possible problem but in medicine, what we want to do is look for the most frequent problem and evaluate that first. And language disorders in children, in preschool children, are about 25%, one in five, where autism is very, 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 very rare. So we should evaluate the language disorder first because it's the most likely problem. But that has sort of shifted as uh, in the current state of affairs, and mm -hmm. we're looking for autism first. Right. So I've been doing this 40 years. In the, in the beginning of my career, this 25% of the population was called developmentally aphasic, like a stroke patient, aphasia. And then it started to be called specific language disorder. Then it started to be called ADD. And then from ADD, it sort of lumped into, if you can talk, you might have ADD or Asperger's, and if you can't talk, you have autism. When it's the same group that had aphasia to begin with, in the in you know generally speaking. That is so powerful. I I, I truly hope that that um, this can help a lot of people. It's very powerful. Could you just, in the last minute or two, though, talk about what is the risk for a maverick when they're not getting the proper treatment for language disorder? Well, there's several people that we can refer to on that very important question, Angie. 
The National Institutes of Health did a 14-year longitudinal study of children with early speech and language problems, and they followed those children, and they found that the problems got worse over the 14 years if the children were not if the intervention was incorrect. So what started out as a speech and language, a listening and speaking problem, then became a reading-writing problem, then became a school failure problem, and then became a chronic psychiatric disease. So what was very treatable, and Dennis Cantwell confirms this, could easily switch into something that isn't very treatable, and is characterized by depression, anxiety disorder, oppositional disorder. And then when we look at teenagers, we see that 80% of juvenile delinquents have communication disorders that haven't been treated. And we see that 80% of adult women with depression have communication disorders that weren't treated. So we can see from a lot of the statistics that we now know that if it's left untreated, it can become something hard to hard to help and yes, severe. I mean, and at that point when you have the the layers of of um anxiety depression uh it then it becomes even harder to go back and see the root of the problem exactly that's exactly right Right. Well, we are out of time. I'm. Um, we had such good information. Uh, I, I'm so excited. I wanted to mention to our listeners that on Dr. Florence's website, website which is um, SherryFlorence.com, there's all sorts of information. There's lots of videos for you to watch that will make sense after you listen to these interviews. And you're welcome to contact Dr. Florence. She has some free materials that she can email you. And I want everybody to stay tuned for our following interviews. In our next interview, we're going to talk about the specific steps of brain engineering. That's the treatment therapy for Mavericks. Um, And after that, we're going to talk about um, what a Maverick can look like once they are treated and the success stories and and just the, the pathway to unleashing the genius of the Mavericks and what a wonderful thing that can be. So, Dr. Florence, thank you very much. Well, Angie, this has been a wonderful experience for me, and as always, your questions are are right on the exact points we want to convey. So thank you for inviting me, and I'll look forward to our next one. Okay, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.